Hey Christian Hills family, I am Pastor Brennan and I just want to welcome you to our Good Friday service. Thank you so much for being with us. We want to welcome you. Take a second, throw in the comments down below where you are tuning in from. But we're excited to have you with us for our service as we just worship together. We're going to hear an awesome word from Pastor Mike about Good Friday and the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. And so we're excited for today. We're excited to celebrate with you and uh, we're just going to go before the Lord and a word of prayer as we start our service. So dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, I pray that you would work and move in this service. Lord, as we connect with you and praise God and we hear in your word the sacrifice of your son, we thank you so much for that. God, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, we ask that you would just work and move and bring healing. And we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, enjoy the service, everybody. Please join me in singing in Christ alone.
Thank you that we can come and we can worship you and we can look into scripture and be reminded of why Good Friday is called good. Because Lord, that's the day that you chose to go to the cross to die for each and every one of our sins. And Lord, we live in the shadow of the cross and, and we can even look at Good Friday, a gruesome and awesome and also a kind of horrible day, but yet also see that through that day of that crucifixion of you on that cross we all gave we're given eternal life we were given a relationship with you with God the Father and so Lord I pray that today throughout this day of Good Friday Lord that you would remind us of your great sacrifice that you would remind us that you did it out of love and that even though the cross was a sign of execution the cross became a sign of love by the time Good Friday was over and Resurrection Sunday came around. So, Lord, I pray your anointing on this word today. I pray that you would take my words and let them highlight what you did that day and what transpired that day, but also reminding us of how much you truly loved each and every one of us, that you were willing to take upon yourself our sins so that we could be set free. So, Lord, have your anointing be upon me. Have your way today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're, uh, we're celebrating Good Friday, and uh, it's a very eventful day in Scripture. A lot of things were transpiring on Good Friday, of course, as we're looking for breakthrough here in 2020. We're looking for breakthrough from the grave, as we've been focusing on on our Easter season. And today we are going to see this breakthrough come to pass as Jesus is, is basically being sought after and you know, there's been a conspiracy to kill Jesus since the time he was a young boy. And this conspiracy to kill Jesus kind of comes to the climactic point on Good Friday when they finally do arrest him, and they finally do bring him to the cross. But I want you to know that the breakthrough from the grave comes at the cost of killing God. Remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. And he said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father, he told some of his disciples. And yes, it's been a conspiracy that to kill Jesus has been going on for a long, long time for basically about this point in his life, about 28 years. We see at Jesus' birth, we find that he is born in the manger and, 
in Bethlehem. And then we know somewhere around the time that he's two years old, these, these wise men from the east come seeking him out because they see the star. But before they got to Jesus, they stopped at the King Herod's palace there in Jericho and were reminding him that they saw the star. This reminded him of this prophetic word that the king of the Jews will be born and he will be born in Bethlehem. And what we discover in the timing of God that Jesus, of course, is born as prescribed through prophecy. And these wise men alert King Herod of this thing. They thinking King Herod would be excited about the birth of this king, but he saw Jesus as a threat to his kingdom and his future kingdom of his heirs that would take the throne. So as we, we start looking at this, we're reminded that this conspiracy to kill Jesus started long before Good Friday ever took place, long before even Jesus started his ministry. The conspiracy to take Jesus' life started back shortly after his birth. And I want to remind you why I say that Good Friday represents the day God died. And, and I know that, you know, as we think of that phrase that God is dead, well, technically on that Friday there were a lot of people after Jesus died about 3 p.m. in the afternoon that felt God had died on the throne. He had died on that cross, and God was no longer alive, and he was God in the flesh. And, and we're reminded by John who says this about Jesus. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, according to John 1. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And it said he came as a witness to testify concerning that light which would come into the world, so that through him all men might believe. And then a little bit later on in John chapter 1, we have John himself saying that he's not the Christ, but he was preparing the way for the Christ to come. And then, of course, as we get down to verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I, the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then John goes on to say, I have seen and I testify that this Jesus is the Son of God. And then in verse 35, he says, here is the Lamb of God. So Jesus was God in the flesh. And so when Jesus dies on that cross on Good Friday, literally, I guess you could say God died that day. But I want you to ponder this thought that, you know, we, we hear of conspiracy theories. I mean, we're hearing a lot of conspiracy theories with the coronavirus, the epidemic that's going on. But I want you to know this conspiracy to kill Jesus started when he was, shortly after he was born. And yes, there was a conspiracy from the evil one to eliminate and to get rid of the Messiah, to get rid of the King of the Jews, to get rid of the one that would set us free from our sins. So yes, there was a conspiracy to kill God in the flesh, and, and they were seeking to take Jesus' life very early in his life. 
And yes, demonic people were sent to try and do this. And it's interesting when you kind of take a look at Harold. They call him Harold the Great, but Harold the Great was a very evil man. And then I got to come back to think about this, you know, you know, as Jesus dies on the cross that day and I, you know, we look at Good Friday as good and then you kind of think about, well, wait a minute, it's the day God dies on the cross at three o'clock in the afternoon. How can it be good? But it's because of that death needed to happen. Jesus knew he needed to die. Uh, God knew that Jesus needed to die on the cross so that you and I could be saved and set free from the sin which entangled us and kept us in bondage, which kept us in separation from a personal relationship with God the Father, which kept us from having the Holy Spirit live inside of us. And what made Good Friday good is Jesus was going to die. God was going to die, if you want to use that terminology. But the reality is God wasn't going to stay dead, and that's the good thing about Good Friday, that is why we call it good today. But back then, in that moment, for the disciples, for those that were watching and observing, it was a horrible day. It was a traumatic day. It was a day filled with grief. It was a day filled with hopes that were crushed. And, and they didn't quite understand all of what Jesus prophesied would happen, what happened. They didn't comprehend it, of course, until Resurrection Sunday came around on Sunday. I want to remind you that throughout history, there's been people that have tried to snuff out God. I mean, you can look back through the history of the church. People have been trying to kill God, eliminate God, take God out of the picture for years. We, you know, shortly after Jesus, of course, was executed on the cross, then the persecution started on his disciples and his followers. And we still have martyrs who follow Jesus to this day, which give up their life for the gospel and for the word of God. We have at all through time prophets and individuals who stood up, especially against the religious regimes of the day or the era which gave up their life. We have seen governments ban and destroy his word and try and eliminate, which is the Bible. We have seen outlawing church services and outlawing communion in certain countries. There have been a host of other edicts and laws which have come through in history, all trying to snuff out God, to take God out of the picture. But I want you to know they're never, ever, ever going to succeed. Just like Satan failed that day with Jesus on the cross and why Good Friday is called Good Friday is because Satan failed at his mission, his purpose. You know, his mission was to destroy Jesus, to take Jesus out. And he somehow thought taking Jesus out would help him win this battle between him and God the Father. You know, back in 1966, Time Magazine shocked the world when they came out with their cover and asked the question, is God dead? Interesting, Don Hamilton remembers the day well. This was back in 1966. He was 12 years old. And one of his classmates came up to him and asked him the question, does your father think that God is dead? And Hamilton said, I had to admit it at that point. My dad was responsible for this article going up for Time Magazine. He said, well, the answer to that is yes, my dad thinks God is dead. Of course, before long, uh, we know that Hamilton lost his job at Colgate Rochester Divinity School. People drove him out because he started telling his students that God was dead. Um, he got fired. He quit going to church. He started doing his own thing. And uh, long story short, you know, as they were promoting this idea and asking this question, is God no longer valid? Is God dead? Is the church out of date? Is the church irrelevant? Is the Bible not relevant? Is God dead? Uh, that angry sermon started pouring into Time magazine. 
There were over 3,421 letters that came in response to the question, is God dead? Uh, you know, and there were countless thousands, tens of thousands of sermons that were preached to say God is not dead, he is alive. And so we're focusing around death here on Good Friday, but we need to understand that, you know, the grave can't keep Jesus down. The grave can't keep God down. You know, God's not going to die. It may look like he died there on Good Friday, but the reality is, is Easter is just around the corner. It was interesting when they interviewed Bob Dylan and asked him about the Time magazine cover. You know what he said? He said, if you were God... How would you like to see that written about yourself on Time Magazine that you're dead? Because he said, God's not dead. God is very much alive. And we know shortly thereafter, Bob Dylan gave his life to Jesus Christ and became a follower of Jesus. And so here we are 54 years later after that iconic Time Magazine, and we're a couple thousand years later after Jesus died on the cross, and we still find people that want to eliminate God, that want to eliminate Jesus, eliminate his word, eliminate his message, thinking that somehow they can kill God. Somehow they can snuff God out. They can snuff his voice out. They can snuff the truth out. But they will continue to fail, just like they failed on that Good Friday with Jesus. But I want you to come back, and I want to just highlight, you know, in probably the most famous execution in history, which is Jesus's, behind the scene was this conspiracy since he was around two years old, shortly after he was born, this conspiracy to take Jesus out, to kill God, to eliminate God, so that these evil men and satanic, demonic people could have their own way and push their own way. You know, the first attempt I've been sharing happened to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 23, when Harold decides, after the wise men had visited him, to kill every child under two years old in the town of Bethlehem. And it's sad to say he went ahead and sent his soldiers and they ended up literally going into that small village and killing over, they, most people figure, about 25 to 30 little boys two years and under. And I look at this first executioner, this first, I think, demonic man. Harold the Great was not Harold the Great. Harold the Great was a demented, basically, serial killer. And this man who was so bent on making sure that his lineage maintained the title king of the Jews, was also so crazy and sick that he, he, he even killed his own uh, wives in his family. He killed some of his children. This man didn't just kill these young boys in, 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 in this town, but he killed many innocent people. As a matter of fact, uh, Augustus, who was one of the Roman Caesars, said this about uh, Harold. He said, it is safer to be Harold's pig than to be his son. This man was evil to the core, by the way. And as a matter of fact, at the death of Harold, uh, he, he said nobody's going to mourn his death, and he was dying a miserable death. He was insides were rotting out, and he had worms inside of him, and he was a wicked, wicked king. We know that, of course, just from the action he did against trying to eliminate Jesus. But the idea here is he was so twisted that at the end of his life, he called for all the kind of noble men of the country to come to this one place after he died so he could have them all executed and people would mourn and cry for those that died because he knew nobody was going to mourn and cry for him. I mean, think about it. The man set out to eliminate the Messiah. He tried to kill God. He tried to kill God in the flesh. Of course, no man's ever going to be able to achieve that task. And we need to be reminded that nobody's going to snuff out God's word. 
So as we go on, you know, Harold, Harold Archelaus dies a horrible death, as we have shared. His son, Harold Antipas, takes over. And it's interesting, Harold Antipas is going to come into play here when Jesus is about somewhere around 30 years old, and right before his crucifixion, Jesus is once again going to appear before the son of Harold, the one who tried to kill him when he was young. And basically, this king is going to not want to have anything to do with them. And we'll talk about that in a moment here. But I want you to know the conspiracy to kill Jesus is nothing new. You know, this conspiracy had been going on, so when Good Friday comes to its, its fulfillment, we know that the plan of God has come to its fulfillment. If you look through history at the different times that people have attempted in Scripture to kill Jesus, we find that that was the first attempt. But the second attempt comes along in about Matthew chapter 13, 53 to 58, and Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 4. In those texts, we discover that Jesus had begun his ministry in about 27 A.D., and one of his first acts of going into preaching and teaching about God the Father is he cleans the temple out in Jerusalem. Now, he did that two different times. This is the first time that he did it. And, of course, they were using the worship of God to make money. They were ripping people off and ripping people off in the worship of God. And Jesus was outraged over it, and he confronted it. And, of course, the religious leaders took alarm to this teacher, and it kind of put Jesus on their radar screen that, hey, this guy's a threat to the nation of Israel. This guy's a threat to our corrupted religious system. Shortly after Jesus cleanses the temple, he does a bunch of miracles and a bunch of teachings, and he returns to Nazareth. So Jesus returns to Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue there in Nazareth, and they ask him to read from Scripture. So Jesus stands up in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and he reads Luke, uh, Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, and listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He sat back down. All the eyes of the synagogue were on him in verse 20. And today he says this. Today this scripture is fulfilled. Now a few other words are said there in scripture, but long story short, by the time you get to verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious at what Jesus said. They got up, drove him out of the, basically out of the town, and they took him to the brow of a hill where they were going to throw him off the hill and literally kill him. So here we go again. Another attempt on Jesus' life for telling the truth, for preaching the truth, for being the 